the 30th, and um, so you get a quick proverb from chapter 30. I, I chose verse 5 today. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. For those of you who came, last week was your first time ever, and you don't know who this guy is. I'm Terry. I'm one of the pastors here, too. I guess I should have introduced myself. Anytime I'm gone for a week, I probably ought to do that. Today, we're going to pick back up. If you have a, if you have a long enough memory, um, I started a series um, on the family, a short series on the family, and I did it right before Palm Sunday, and I got distracted by Palm Sunday, and then there was Easter, and then I was gone last weekend, so this goes back. So I'm picking back up where I was several weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about uh, building a family at that time, and today we're going to talk about keys to remodeling, so we're kind of in this, this context of building, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, but I want to take um, a, 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 just a minute and go back to where we were before, because it was important. And, and the first point for today is going to be, that I'm going to jump right into this, and here we go, um, is to cooperate. Only God can build a home. And if you remember the Sunday where I taught on this the last time, we were in Psalm 127 that says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Only God can build a home. And... Um, uh, if, you hear, if you're hearing that for the first time, you might tend to think, well, you know, God, that's, that's kind of narrow. That's just, you know, where does he get off? Only I can build a house. I mean, I know something about building a family, and I've got some experience, and I may not be able to build it as, as good as, as well as God can, but, you know, only God, yeah, only God can build a house. And if you didn't really know, and if you don't really know the God of the Bible, um, then I have a, a little bit of truth, and it could even be a hard truth for you to embrace, or maybe to embrace afresh today. And that's that if you don't recognize, if, if, if you don't realize that, um, that there is just one God, in fact, today we live in a day where, um, you know, a day of opinions and a day of options, but we serve a God who is one way. Did you know that? <laughs> okay, blammo, here we go. God's not into um, a lot of different options and a lot of different approaches. You know, and and here, here are some references to that truth. I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Therefore know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. No other. Isaiah 45.6 says, from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. You know, there's only one God. There aren't five gods. There aren't thousands of gods. There's just one. I know God thinks that some people think there are more than one, and there are lots of different things, but there's just him, just one God. And he's just not into options. There's only, there, there, there's only one God. In addition to the fact that there's only one God, there's only one way. And Jesus said this in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the way. There are not many ways. There are not. There's just one single way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There was Jesus, Jesus talking there. There's only one God, there's only one way, and there's only one name. Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Ah, oh, come on, God, there's got to be another way. Don't you have some options? What's plan B? <laughs> one way, one name, one God. God's all about ones. Even the Son of God prayed in the garden. 
God, if there's another way. But the answer was no. There's no other way. No other way. God's all about ones. Ephesians 4, here they come, a whole bunch of ones in 4, uh, four through 6. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. A lot of ones. Just plain old-fashioned ones. So instead of being conformed to the world and the world's way of thinking, I encourage you today to renew your minds with this. God is about one. He's, he's about get on or get off, my way or the highway. He's about absolute, non-negotiable, never-changing, eternal truth. That's God. And I'm telling you this truth today because it's not popular. <laughs> it's like, Terry, that's so stupid. What are you doing that for? It's not popular. You want to say something that's not popular. Well... And that's the reason why God is not popular, because he insists there's only one way. And that's what makes Christianity unpopular, that simple truth. And and here's the thing. God realizes that makes him unpopular, and he's really not bothered by that. (laughs) Do you know, God is not trying to be popular. He's trying to be loved, and he thinks that truth and love is the best way to actually get there. And yes, he is long-suffering. Scripture tells us that. But ultimately, he's, he's about, you have to at some point get on or get off. You know, He's into absolute, non-negotiable, never-changing eternal truth. And God has this great big heart of love for everybody that chooses to get on the program with him. He does. But he also has justice and judgment for those that think and believe for them there's a plan B. So unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And I'm glad to tell you today that um, for those people who are cooperating with God, there, there are a, he is doing a lot of phenomenal things. And um, you know, he's, he, I'm watching him heal marriages. I'm watching him restore joy to places where there's hopelessness. I'm watching him restore the hearts of parents to their children and children to their parents. I'm watching him do all kinds of things. And those are things I'm watching him do in this church, in this crowd, among people you know. Things I'm seeing God do, and, and he's, you know, they're watching him build their families, and they're watching him bring power to change and, and uh, to transform and give joy and victory. Second Chronicles 13, 12 says, O children of Israel, do not fight against the Lord of your fathers, for you shall not prosper. Anyone who goes against God, uh, you know, God's ways, is just not going to prosper. So how do you cooperate with God? Well, I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes here and um, talk about them. So two quick things. When you choose to, how, how, do you, how do you choose to allow God to start remodeling your home? The first thing you need to do is this one. Make sure you're on the right foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, this might seem like really Christianity 101 stuff to you, but stay with me here, church. Because there's some stuff here that we need to talk about. If you're trying to build your home on any other foundation than Christ, just go back right now and tear that foundation back down to dirt. You might as well just do that now. I'm not being cynical. I'm saying literally go back to and tear it back down to dirt because it's going to collapse. And you might as well have it come back down to dirt under your power so that you can then build it back up under the, under the, under the foundation of Christ 
instead. It'd be just so much better. And, 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 if, and start when you do it. You start building in that, that thing on a personal relationship with Christ. And that's really the place to start. Now, I don't want to um, take too much time on this right now because I think the Holy Spirit is sovereign. But I want to just mention this to you. If you have never, if you don't know what that means, a personal relationship with Christ, right now I want to say to you that you can be a friend of God. Scripture says that all who call on the name of Christ will be saved. If you don't know him in a personal way, you simply say, say this to him. I realize, Lord, you came and you died to pay the price of my imperfections, my sins. And I want to thank you for that gift. I want to receive it. I want to, I want to follow you. Help me figure out how to do that. That's a prayer. That's calling on Christ. If you, if you sincerely feel that way, you don't have to do it in a church service. You can do it right now if you want. And I encourage you to do that. But you can do it at any point. Don't wait too long. Anyway, build your foundation. Um, lay it on, on Jesus Christ. And, um, you, know, you know, maybe you're saying to yourself, well, I've already got that covered, Terry. I've already got a personal relationship with Christ. Okay. Here's the second thing. Make sure that God has your full cooperation. Your full cooperation. Let me ask you about your family. These are rhetorical. Don't answer these questions out loud. Does God see in you a cooperative spirit? Does he, you know, as he tries to build your home, does he look at you and say, are you for me or against me? When I'm trying to do things there, is it easier for me to do them, Terry, because you're there? Is it easier for me to accomplish things in the Fisher household, Terry, because you're there? Or is it a little bit harder, Terry, because you're there? You know, are you helping me or are you hindering me? Ask yourself, are, are you cooperating with the Lord? You know, I think sometimes we need to kind of step down from being the master uh, on God's remodeling job. If he's trying to do something to remodel us. And I know he is with me. And sometimes we've got to step down and say, hey, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, God. I know that sometimes I can, can nudge you out of the left-hand seat. And uh, I need to let you to become you know, the, 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 the king on this project. I'm going to stop treating you, Lord, by, like some sort of a subcontractor where you do the things I say and how I say and when I say, and I'll tell you what you get for it. And um, this is in the context of building. You can think I'm, I'm thinking about building, right? You following me? Smile back at me. This will be easier. Okay. Okay, that's the first thing, cooperate. Only God can build a home. And now from, we're going to come into Matthew chapter 7, concentrate. Follow the blueprint. I was recently at a... Um, job site where there, there are people having a house built. And um, it's, I just, I'm such a nerd. I'm not a builder, but I love seeing how it works. I, I wanted to see the foundation get poured, so I went and looked at it, and then I went to see how the flooring joists and all that kind of stuff, and the inspections in between, and I want to know what the inspector is inspecting, what's the critical issues, and, and then, you know, up, up it starts going really fast, and these framers, okay, how they make things get square and make them work, I don't know. But I watched a guy building something, and I just was amazed because he built this thing and had to fit in another thing, and it fit perfectly. It was amazing. But here's something I watched. He was building these, these walls and putting up these things, and you know, you ever been to a job site, then you know what I'm talking about. But tacked on a wall was the blueprint. And he'd run over and look at that blueprint, and he'd go over and he'd do some stuff. 
And he'd run over and he'd look at the blueprint and do some stuff. Sometimes he would make notes on the blueprint. Hey, there's, here's an issue. And he'd make a correction and make a note. And then everybody would know what, know what was going on. Back and forth. Blueprint, put some stuff together. Blueprint, put some stuff together. You following me? Here's the thing. The Lord has given us a blueprint, and we're going to read a blueprint here for building a home that's really a good one. How to build a family, how to build a home, a life. And I think we need to be focused on this blueprint. And by the way, when it comes to blueprints, it's okay to mark them up. I'll talk about that in just a second. Okay, so here's our text, Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. This is Jesus talking. So if you have a Bible where Jesus' words are in red, that helps you out. But this is Jesus talking. Listen, all of the word of God is God's word. But there's just something in me that kind of snaps to attention when I see red ink. I don't know why. Okay, verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Okay, right there. There's a blueprint, blueprint for us to concentrate on. Okay. By the way, I appreciate what is coming up the ladies' night. Um, you call it illustrated faith, right? So I had never heard of this before, and I said, Lisa, what this is about? Well, it's for women that journal in a Bible. Like, okay, if you looked in my Bible, there's places where I've, it looks like I've crossed stuff out. I haven't. I've highlighted things, and I've got a poor aim. Um, but I make, I make notes in my margins, and I've learned to find highlighters that don't bleed through to the opposite side and pants, or else you can really, you get to the point where you, you write something important to you on the other side, you can't read the next page, page anymore. So I appreciate that you're doing this, because I think um, the word, of li- word comes alive. If you take the time, and as you're reading it, something the Lord points out to you that you've never seen before, and it's speaking to you personally, and you draw a little line, and you write this little note, and the date in the, in the corner... And it means something to you the next time. And the Lord will use that repeatedly in your life. So this journaling in a Bible with little stickers and, you know, okay. <laughs> okay. We have enough washi tape and stickers in our house to open a store. The fact that I know what washi tape is is scary to me as a man. By the way, the first rule of Fight Club is you don't talk about Fight Club. But this isn't Fight Club, okay? The men's thing, I'm so proud of you. Way to go. This is going to be great. So guys, you know, man up. Okay, anyway. Um, (laughs) So, okay, so there's this blueprint, this whole passage, and it's Jesus talking about the wisdom of how to build a house. So let's just take a minute and take a look at his teachings here. Okay, notice, first of all, two kinds of houses. Two kinds of houses. One, a house built on the sand. The thing about building a house on the sand Building a house with, without really a foundation is that it's just, it's easy to get done. Doesn't require a lot of effort, doesn't require a lot of planning, requires a significant less amount of work and study. You just slap that puppy up and in no time, you know, you're just sitting on the back porch, sipping tea, watching that poor guy next door who's still digging and blasting in the rock. And so it, you know, putting a house in the sand was a pretty easy thing to do back in this day. It wasn't a lot of price paid for it, less expensive construction, not a lot of focus on quality. What well, was done? The other house, 
The other kind of different house was the house built on the rock. That house took a lot more work. A lot of digging, a lot of drilling, a lot of planning, pouring before anything would ever even be seen. A lot of work, you know, people would drive by and they'd see that house. It's already done. Hey, Tommy, nice house. Way to go. Looks pretty good, you know. Because they look, when the houses are both done, they both look exactly the same. Until the storm comes. So people are saying, hey, great house. Looks really good. Look at that crazy guy next door still slaving away, digging holes, and he's not getting anything gone. And now the poor guy who's building on the rock is feeling pretty ridiculed. He's feeling, you know, he's putting in all this effort. And, and people are saying, hey, why all that extra effort to dig that foundation, do that? You know, come on, you can't live in a foundation. Get that house up. Get that house up. So two kinds of houses. The t- then the text moves on pretty quickly to two kinds of builders. The builder who built on the sand, Jesus said he was foolish. Now, the Greek word there literally is translated blockhead. Did <laughs> you realize that sometimes the words in scripture, they make us laugh, blockhead. The guy was a blockhead. Jesus called him a blockhead. <laughs> okay, that just doesn't fit my picture of Jesus. You know, come on, blockhead. A guy building on sand is a blockhead. Okay. It says, uh, okay, a person who's this foolish person is someone who fails to weigh matters, who, to, to, to choose the things that are best. And I have to say, sometimes that's me. I mean, come on. Sometimes it's you too. I mean, I think there's some foolishness sometimes in differing degrees to all of us. So the person who was this foolish person, he, he didn't discern. You know, he's like, you know, build on the rock, build on the sand, build on the rock, build on the sand. You know, what's the difference? Well, one's certainly easier. It's cheaper. It's faster, you know. So he goes the easy route, the quick route. And as we read on, he pays the full price for it. Two kind of builders. The first one is is the foolish one. The second one is the wise one. Now, this guy knows that the foundation is the key to success. He knows it. The most important thing isn't the roof, it's the foundation. Any builder will tell you that. That the foundation is everything. My son is a structural engineer, and he thinks the foundation is king to everything. It's like, okay, it's kind of funny. He, 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 you know, so, so the foundation was the key to a good home. Second thing that he knew is that faster is not necessarily better. The wise man knew that there was no pleasure that could compensate for the pain of having your home collapse upon your head. There's no pleasure that will make that worth it. And so the wise build upon the rock, who is Jesus Christ. So two kinds of houses, two kinds of, of builders, but only one kind of experience. You're looking at that passage then. What's the same thing that came to both of the houses? The storm, right? The storm. Every family encounters storms. They do. Maybe this is where I ask for you to participation. Don't tell me about the storm in your family, but generically, help me out a little bit here. What kind of storms do families face? Financial, health, what, you know, okay. What? Communications. (laughs) 
I told you not to be personal. <laughs> okay, financial ones, there can be, you know, some terribly hard storms that can come up that are more than just a windstorm, the, you know, the death of a child or, you know, there are all kinds of heartache. And I certainly would not pretend to stand here and tell you that I have any idea of the heartache necessarily that you face. Some of you I do, or the heartache that you're going to face as a family. You know, for, for, many, for some of you, it might be many years in your future. For some of you, it could be just around the corner. Others, you may be in the middle of a storm today. And the only thing you can, you're capable of doing today is to get your boat pointed into the wind so you can let those waves. And I, mean, I don't know what is the heartache that is going to come at you and your family, but there's a storm coming. There's a storm coming. I wish it wasn't true. I wish I could do something to prevent it for you. But storms come to every home, every home. Two kinds of homes, two kinds of builders, one common experience. And notice lastly, two different outcomes, two different outcomes. The house that's built on the sand experiences total collapse. Everything's gone. Pain, there's regret, there's shame, it's devastated. And then the house built on the rock experiences endurance, relief, security, protection, joy, victory. So let's look back again at the text, and I just want to leave this one up for a little while, if we can, um, and just ask you to take a look at this text, and I won't read it all again, but to ask this question, you know, who, you know, what, what, is, what, is, what does it mean to build on the sand? What does it mean to build on the rock? So who, so, so this person that's building on the sand, this, these sandy builders, these foolish blockheads, whatever, okay, what is building on the sand? I guess I'm asking, but I guess maybe you're not brave enough because you might make a mistake. Okay, okay. I, I, I asked a couple people this question. One of them said, well, it's disobeying God. No. Wrong answer. That's not what this is. It's, well, okay, that's a problem too. But in this example, what is building on the sand, Jesus is saying this. It's hearing, but not doing. Those who hear these sayings of mine, but do not do them. That is building on the sand. Hearing, but so, so let's dispense with the notion right up front that for people building on the sand are the people that are still in bed right now rather than being in church. That's not who this is talking about. Jesus talks about that in other places. Um, the people building on the sand are in Bible preaching churches today. They're, they're people maybe even right here in this room the people building on the sand are, are people who have been listening and hearing the words of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, and maybe they've been listening to different messages and different things time after time, year after year, hearing it all, but not doing it, but not doing it. And so I want to bring you this loving question, and maybe it will come across as a warning, and I don't mean to be shouting warnings at you, church, but are you building on sand? Don't wait for a storm to find out. Let the word of God somehow change you. You know, let it somehow change the course of action that you're on. Let it happen today. You know, be humble enough to acknowledge God. You know, I've been a little bit too much the master here. And uh, I'm sorry for that. And, and I, 
I want to get with your program. I, I don't want to find out at the storm that I'd not bolted down to a foundation of Christ. So, so we're still looking at this text. So what's building on the rock? Hint, that's in verse 24. That's, you know, Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, does them. Now, different translations use that, say that different ways. I looked at lots of different translations. It says, puts them into practice, obeys them, acts upon them. There's one translation that says, accepts them. That's a bad translation. It's not just about hearing. This is about hearing and doing. He's not just, so it's hearing and doing. And I hope that's me. I hope that's you. Um, so we're asking God here to, to kind of position our hearts not to come to the place where we would, we would sit and hear the word of God and worship the Lord and let him touch our heart every week and then go out the doors and be the same way we were when we came in. I, I'm going to make a request of some staff members and I'm not sure which staff members need to come up with a solution, but I think we need to put signs up. <laughs> there's one right there. Um, and there's one back there. And I mean, I, I don't know, but I think we should have signs at our exits. Discreet, gentle, loving signs that say something like this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Something like that, Rachel. Work on that, would you? Don't let me forget this. I think there should be a sign that says, today, if you hear the Lord, hear the voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord, do not harden your heart. We should be encouraged to not do that. Okay, so um, I, I'm going to challenge you today. Cooperate, because there's only one God. Concentrate on the blueprints. Here's the third one, fumigate. <laughs> you know, fumigate. Eject and expel worldly pollutants. You know, if, we don't see this too much around here, but um, if, you, if you live in certain parts of the country, and I'm thinking in particular California, it's not of that unusual if you're driving around in residential areas and you'll drive along and here's a house that's completely tented. Have you ever seen one? I mean, okay, so there's, you've somehow figured out that there might be termites somewhere in the house, and the, they, they come in, and you take out all the people, you take out all the clothes, you take out all the food, and then these guys come, and they erect this great big tent over a house. It's completely enclosed. The house is going camping. And then these crazy guys come in, and they spray, they suit up, and they spray poison, and they go everywhere, and they fill this house up with these poisonous gases because the termites get in the walls, and underneath things and in places that you can't squish them all. Maybe you're not supposed to squish them all. I don't know. That's gross. Why'd you say that? But I mean, they, they get in there and, um, you know, the whole, if, if they, they've learned, and in many places in California, if you buy a house, the lender won't give you the money unless you fumigate first. It's enough of a risk in some places. You know, I, I just wonder if sometimes maybe God is trying to do something in our families, and sometimes we're in the way because of termites that we allow into our homes or into our minds or into the minds of our children. John, 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's pretty plain. That's pretty convicting maybe. I'm saying, well, what's the world exactly? Well, if you study the world, the word world in the scripture, it's used three different ways throughout scriptures. It's used to describe the earth, the planet that we, you know, the earth is the Lord's and everything. It's talking about the planet. Another one is, um, it's, it's used to describe the people who live here. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, okay, he's talking about people there. And then the third way 
the Bible uses the word world is to describe the world's system. The fact that, you know, Satan is the, is the ruler of this present world and there's a world system and it's just evil ways of thinking. So, so one definition in that context of what the world is, is anything that alienates you from God. Anything, any philosophy, any teaching, any media, any television, any behavior, any habit, any influence that will scar your heart and alienate you from God. That's the world. So, okay. Terry, can you be more specific? What needs to be fumigated? Well, I've thought about that question a lot. Not about the answers, about whether I ought to answer it at all. And I'm very reluctant to, because I don't believe that it's necessarily always my role to stand up in front and say, don't do this, do that, do here, get this out of your life. I don't think that that's always my role. I think sometimes the Lord would prevail on me to, to point something out. I think in this case, I have permission from the Holy Spirit to give you an example so you can see what I'm talking about. But this example is not my, I, I didn't pull out my bully pulpit here. Because I think the Holy Spirit will speak to you about the termites that are circulating around where you live. They're there. And the only reason I know this is because they're around my house. <laughs> and um, the Holy Spirit speaks to me about those things and has as a parent over the years. So I'm going to give you one example. And this is example is not based upon my preferences. Okay? It's not based upon my preferences, but I'm just going to give you an example. And this is about things that we hear. And I'm even going to drill down to even something more specific. I want to talk about, just for a minute, about music. Now, I was a teenager in the 70s. And loud rock and roll music that came along in the 70s was from the devil. Okay? But I love that music now. In fact, when I go on my bike rides, I'm listening to these things that were just terrible. (laughs) That I really enjoy. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm not talking about preferences. I'm not talking about style here. But I just want to make this, converse, this, this comment that as a parent, if you think the music that's, that's being produced today is parallel to the music that was being produced even just 20 years ago, and that we're listening to it and that our kids are listening to it, it's not parallel. The pain and, and the anguish, uh, uh, the, 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 the bitterness that's present in our world the world I described, is being transferred directly into the music of today. Directly. There's rage, there's bitterness, there's violence, there are demeaning things said about women, and they are put into really quality, catchy, catchy tunes and, and words. And, 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 and if, you allow, if you allow yourself to listen to them, you'll be singing along to them. You'll be saying words and saying things that your spirit will be saying, oh, termites. And it will eat the inside of the structure out until it collapses. And I don't understand why, um, you know, a, a, a father can't walk into the setting and say, hey, 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 we do not listen to that, not in this household. Give me your, for me it was, give me your CDs. Now it's, give me your player. (laughs) We're going to take all of those things off of here because that in this house equals zero. That's just not going to happen here. And um, 
you know, we have something in our family history called the Great CD Massacre. I think I've probably told that story here before. So I won't tell that story again now, but if you want to hear it, I'll tell you privately. But, but, but you might say to yourself, well, if I do that, Terry, I'm going to be really, really unpopular with my kids. I want to tell you this. If you take a stance of, of, of loving your children because of the character that you want to build into them, and because you care about their future, they will come back and thank you one day for it. They will. And isn't that what parenting is all about? Isn't that how God parents us anyway? He allows the pain in the present for the long-term good. It's hard. That's one of the hard things about being a parent, is to allow a child to to put their finger on the stove because they need to learn because they wouldn't obey and say, hot, it will hurt. I'm not saying put your... Please don't call CPS on me. Okay. <laughs> just so that you know about this thing about music, just so you'll know, I would not stand up here and, and, and call the kettle black while I'm the pot. Did I say that right? Just so you know that, I'm going to tell you a little story about me. Um, back when I was in my late teens. And um, when I tell you this story, do not cast one of those judgmental looks on my mother. She didn't know this. Had nothing to do with this. But for a number of months, I was a um, FM DJ at a very low-powered radio station, but it did have an audience. And uh, it was one of those stations where you could bring your own music if you wanted to, and I did. And I played for a few hours a day, and I had my own show. <laughs> my show. Um, and I opened my show every day with a song um, by the Rolling Stones called Sympathy for the Devil. <laughs> it still touches my heart how, how much regret I have, but I'm not proud of that. I, I loved that song. It is a catchy song. I love that song today. I do not allow myself to listen to it. If I walk into some place where it's, it's playing, my radar, my spiritual radar goes on before I even hear it, and I have to kind of walk away from it because it's attractive to me. And I am not proud of the fact that in my late teens, early, I, hadn't, I'd been a, I was a Christian. I hadn't been a Christian for very long, not very long. But I'm not very proud of the fact that I listened to and the fact that I even promoted music that was somehow so contrary to the faith that I was being taught. And it was taking me somewhere. It was. And it wasn't until... I began to gather up all of that type of music. And I say type of music, not style. But the music that the message was drawing me away from the righteousness of God. And I had to gather it up and just toss it out of my life. There was a point where until I did that, I could not make any forward progress spiritually. Had to get that out of there. Had to fumigate So I call upon you for your own spiritual health and for the future of your family. To fumigate. I don't know what that means. Romans 13, 12 to 14. I'm not going to see, I'm not going to go into any other details. You know. Okay. So Romans chapter 13. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust. But in, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Cast off. 
This cast off refers to um, a pretty radical step. Cast it off. It's like, you know, dump it overboard with weights on it so that it just goes to the bottom of the sea and you never get there again. It's like, you know, drop kick it out of your house. <laughs> Whatever a drop kick is. And this, this make no provision for the flesh. Here's what's being instructed here. Um, imagine for a, a moment that my Terry's besetting sin was eating chocolate cake. Time out for a minute. Besetting sin. Um, if you read Hebrews chapter 12, you'll see a reference in the first couple of scriptures there about uh, sin that besets. Now, um, I'm not going to go there, but I'll take a little tiny bit of a rabbit trail on that. Um, there's, a, there's a reference there to a sin that is, um, Paul calls it a besetting sin. The, the, the context there is that you're in a race, and the racers wanted to win the race, and so everything that would hinder them, they would get rid of, including their clothes. Have you ever gone on a hike before, and it's wet out, or you're climbing, and you got on jeans, and they get wet, and they stick to your skin. So every time you try to take a step higher, it pulls against. It's, it's, it's pulling against. So these, these racers would take off everything that would somehow prevent them from running fast. Okay, graphic picture. Um, you know, but the context, the suggestions that Paul is talking about here in that besetting thing is, 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 is old associations. Maybe it's some sort of cultural habits. Maybe it's, um, you know, ties to the world. You know, th- things like that. So, okay, so let's just say that my besetting, by the way, that's not a passage where Paul says, it's okay to have a besetting sin that you can just blame, right? Okay, back to my message here. So let's just say for a second, my besetting sin is chocolate cakes. I eat them like crazy, you know. Man, did you see Terry over at the church picnic? He, he saw the chocolate cake and he sat down and he ate that whole thing. Then there was another one. It was a bowl full of brownies. And he started pounding those down. He's got a problem. Okay? So, I mean, I get those cakes and, you know, remember besetting sin, they kind of cling to you? Chocolate cake (laughs) clings to you, right? So, So, if I get started, I just can't stop. I bet you can't eat one. Yeah, I bet I can. You know, so I've got, it's a problem. Imagine that, okay? How smart would it be for me, to always have chocolate cakes on the counter at home. How many think it would probably um, be a good idea for me to cast those off? How many think it would be a good idea for me to go ahead and collect chocolate cake recipes? (laughs) Or maybe it wouldn't be such a good idea for me to keep the cupboards stocked full of cake boxes. (laughs) I'm getting hungry thinking about this. We have cookies today after church? Okay. <laughs> make no provision for the, f- for the flesh. Cast those things off. It doesn't make sense. Paul says in Romans 7, For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, nothing good dwells. That means if I give my, sin, my, 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 my flesh the opportunity to sin, I will. Make no provision for the flesh. Welcome to Crossroads Church, where we're here to help you feel good about yourselves. Okay. Cooperate, concentrate, fumigate. Here's the fourth thing. Mediate. Resolve conflicts quickly. Remember, we're talking about building your home, building your family. No hands, please, on this as I ask these questions. You know, how many of you have had some sort of conflict in your family this week? Just this week. 
little spat about something, you know, fights about time, priorities, spending. He said, she said, you promised, you always, you never. You're not listening. Yes, I am. After a while, you know, you're living for Christ, but all you can hear is this clanging. You can't hear anything but conflict, and it's causing this tension in your home, or, or worse, there's this silence. And it's the silence, and, and we, don't, we don't talk that much anymore because, well, we have things that we never, ever really worked out. What I want to say to you today, this morning, is mediate. Mediate means they work for the reconciliation of two people with differences. So now I'm going to go through the last part of this really fast, and a lot of scriptures are going to come up really fast, but I'm flying here because I talked too long earlier, okay? I'm going to try and make up to you. So I want to talk to you about Romans chapter 12, which is a great passage that talks about how to reconcile. Romans chapter 12, great, great passage, and we're going to see some pretty phenomenal truth about how to do that. So here we go. Romans 12, starting in 16, be of the same mind towards one another. Point number one, be aggressive. What that means is to be on the same page uh, with, work it out. If you're not on the same page with your mom, go get on the same. If, If you're not on the same page with your dad, with your brother, with your sister, with your aunt, get on the same page. You know, get to them and say, hey, 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 we got to get on the same page. Let's, let's talk this out. Be of the same mind. Number two, be humble. Romans 12, verse still, verse 16. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. That's going to bring arguments to a very quick halt. You know, and here we're not talking about matters of absolute you know, spiritual truth here. I'm talking about the silly little things that we quibble and tiff about. You know, If you ever allow yourself to get to the place where you think, I'm so right about this. You know, instead, be humble enough to listen to the other person. Number three, be positive. Verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for the good things in the sight of all men. That can do so much to be positive, looking at things from a positive perspective. And I'm not talking about goofy, worldly, positive, power of positive thinking. I'm talking about a biblical regard, a good regard for truly good things. You know, so that you focus on the things that are strong. You don't focus on, you know, things that are weak. Why can't you change this? Why can't you, you know, not talking about that. Focus on things about people that are good. And I just want to say to you, as I was working on this, something came over me. I want to say to you, there is not a single person, not a single one of of you here that doesn't have a lot of wonderful characteristics. It's true. It's true. So focus on the good. If you want conflicts settled, start accepting each other, strengths and weaknesses, and be positive. And, and, and isn't that what a church is supposed to be anyway? I mean, we do pretty good at that. So being a positive person goes a long way in resolving conflict. Number four, be peaceable. Verse 18, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Jesus even said, blessed are the peacemakers. Keeping peace is a, is a good thing. Number five, be forgiving. There are no enduring relationships without forgiving. None. Forgiving is going from you owe me to you owe me nothing. That's what forgiving is. It's a choice to release a person from the obligation that resulted from when they hurt you. 
No obligations. It's taken care of. Number six, be kind. And <laughs> this next verse, verse 20, is in, in kind of a way, it's kind of about be ag- aggravating, it sounds like. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. <laughs> Just kill him with kindness. That's, that's God's way. That's the peaceful. This is the loving way. And it gives God the opportunity to do something through your merciful kindness. It might aggravate them for a while. But it will work for their reconciliation. Number seven, be strong. You can continue in the path that's laid out for here. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If we could just do those seven things, if, if we could just take those seven things seriously, how much conflict would get resolved? Lots. So here's the last thing of our steps. Number five, evaluate. Double check. Evaluate. Take a good, serious look. Every good builder knows this. Measure twice. Cut once. I have many times thought, man, that's for other people, not for me. And I've had to make extra trips to get another length of pipe or something that you cannot stretch a board. I know this. Galatians 6, verses 3 through 5. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's an amazing verse. Do you think you're something? Do you think you have it going on? <laughs> this, mess, this passage is, is not the easy way. This, this, this is the way of the cross. Because it's only when I know that, I, that I'm nothing that, that I can really begin to see that Jesus is everything. Okay, verse four. But let each one examine his own work. It means don't focus on what your brother needs to change or your sister needs to do. Let each one examine his own work and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Each person is going to bear their own responsibility before God to whom we're all going to give an account. So we're about to pray, but I want to give you a 10-question pop quiz and I want you to evaluate yourself, yes or no. Okay? This is going to fly by, but try and keep up. A chance for you to evaluate yourself so you can build on the rock and do, do what it says. Okay, number one. When there's a conflict in my family, I initiate resolution. Yes or no? Keep your elbows in. In fact, do this. Get into an awkward, uncomfortable position so you can't do that. Number two. When I'm wrong, I quickly apologize and ask forgiveness. Apologize means I'm sorry. Forgiveness means I'm sorry I hurt you. I know it. Number three, I have an established standard of what media I take in and I stick to it. Yes or no? Number four, I'm actively influencing those around me to fumigate worldly influence from all our lives. Hmm. I'm not just doing it myself, but I'm championing this in people around me. That's a good one. Number five, I've been deeply convicted by God's word at least once in the last couple of months. If you're convicted, that means that you're available to be touched by the Lord. If you're not, you need to check that out. Number six, I spend regular time in God's word and am committed to its authority over my life. Number seven, I'm fully aware of my helplessness about God and daily admit my dependence upon him. Number eight, I see God working in my family, doing for us us what we cannot do for ourselves. Number nine, 
I recognize the importance of self-evaluation and am not in the least bothered to take this quiz. <laughs> That's just my snide side. Number 10, I'll take these five steps from this message and prayerfully evaluate my strength in each one. Lord, we, um, we invite you to speak to our hearts now. Thank you for your word and for the things that are below the surface that we just take the time we can see. And so today we ask for your help to be building on the rock, to do the things that you say and not just hear them. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not embrace the spirit of this age. Forgive us, Lord, in those areas where maybe we have been a bit worldly and a few termites doesn't bother us. We ask your forgiveness for that, Lord. Purify our hearts. Give us, Lord, the the courage to stand for you. Lord, I pray, too, for these next few moments, for the things that your spirit wants to do in our hearts. I believe the spirit is speaking to different people about different things in different ways. And we pray, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts today. Not the person to my left, not the person to my right, but me. I pray that about me today, Lord that the things that you're speaking that you want to build in, in me, your son, I'd be available to. Lord, it could be so easy for me to walk out of here thinking, okay, I've served you today. You're proud of me, aren't you? When the whole time, that was never your focus. But the things that you wanted to shape in your son's heart. God, I, I, I want to have a tender heart before you. And I do trust you. Speak to me, Lord. And I pray that, Lord, over every person in this room. It's it's a good thing to know that our God loves us. It's a good thing to be able to trust a king who would pour his life out for us because he sees our eternity as paramount. You love us so much. Church, keep your eyes closed. I just would like to give opportunity if there's anyone here who would say, I want to call in the name of Christ. I just give you an opportunity to say, I want to do that right now. I'm not asking you to join the church. Just make the decision to set forever your eternity in place. If you'd like to call on the name of Christ, just let me agree with you. Just look up at, look up at, at me and that's all. Quick hand wave so I don't miss you. God bless you. Scripture says your sins are forgiven and eternity is yours. Anybody else? God bless you too. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit is sweet. Now, Lord, I pray too for these who have made that wonderful decision that, Lord, you would walk with them and speak with them about your relationship with them and show them, Lord, how to develop their relationship with you. I pray for their, your, you to bless them the way you plan to and the way you do with all your children. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.